things. Would you pray with me? Holy God, as Greg shared, we recognize that we come to you this morning as those who are the poor and the powerless. That in our own strength, we have no hope of achieving happiness and wholeness and the kind of life that you have invited us to experience through your son, Jesus. And so this morning, God, we turn our hearts again to your word to us this son that you have given us so that we who are poor and powerless might be invited into the power of your son through his spirit. God, would you open your word to us again this morning so that we can be encouraged, we can be empowered, and we can see with new eyes who you have invited us and called us to be in your name. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. My name is Kurt. I am one of the pastors here, and we are wrapping up our series called Honest to God this morning as we've been looking through uh, God's word to us on how we can experience the freedom and the abundant life that he came to give us. If you've been with us through this series, you know that we, we really began with the message of Easter, that God had come in his son, Jesus Christ, had given his life for us, uh, died and rose again from the dead so that we could be set free from our sin, we could be set free from the lies of the enemy, and we could experience the kind of life that he had intended for us from the beginning. And yet we also recognize that much of our experience of life in this world, even as believers, as Christians, doesn't always match up with the promise that Scripture tells us of what we should or could experience in this life with God. And so we've been asking ourselves, what is it that gets us off track? What is it that prevents us from allowing the truth of God's Word to produce in our life the kind of experience that the Scripture promises, the abundant life that Jesus came to give us? And what we've recognized as we've looked at His Word and we've talked through the challenges that we have in faith is that it's when we begin to believe the lies about ourselves that contradict the truth that God has given us that we get off track and we begin to experience the dysfunction of life and the pain and the suffering and the difficulty that often those lies produce. We talked about last week how God is not, did not leave us abandoned. Jesus himself told his disciples that when he rose from the dead and went to heaven, he would not leave them orphaned, but he would send the counselor, the Holy Spirit, to be with them. And we acknowledge that God is here with us today through the presence and the power of the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ, Jesus, is with us today. And that truth is a truth that we can build a life on. It is a truth that we can bank on, and it impacts and changes our whole perspective of life. We, we came to understand that Christianity is not a, a self-help strategy where you are called to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and through your own effort and, and the hard work and the discipline of your own spirit to make yourself somehow good enough or worthy enough to, to experience God's blessing in your life. It's just the opposite because God has already blessed you, because God has already loved you, because God has already given you all the gifts of heaven 
He invites us to simply receive that life as a gift and to experience his power at work in our life, producing the harvest of righteousness that Jesus says comes through his work in our life. And our response to God is a response of joy and gratitude. And that leads us into the ecstasy of worship, the ecstasy of gratitude, which is what joy really is. And then when we live in that open-handed freedom, we, we begin to see life from a whole new perspective. We come to understand that this truth of God's word that we can build our life on is none other than the word of God, Jesus himself, who is the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus was preparing to depart this world and he was preparing his disciples to understand this whole new perspective that would be their new reality, we began looking in the Gospel of John last week and we're going to continue with John 15 because he knew that after he left this earth that that it would not be easy for his disciples to understand all the new things that were coming to pass and this new life that he was inviting them into. And so he was wanting to help them begin to prepare and understand how they live this life of discipleship as followers of Jesus. And in verse 1, we see him employing the image of the vine and the branches. And he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I think in order to understand how Jesus' words fit for us today, we have to understand the importance of the radical nature of this picture that Jesus was painting for his disciples in their own day. We see that Jesus is painting a picture of a vine, a grapevine, that is harvested and pruned and cared for by a gardener. And Jesus is looking at the lives of his followers and and suggesting that they too are part of a vine or a vineyard that God is wanting to grow to produce fruit. And in order to sustain a genuine spiritual life in the world, they would need to remain attached to Jesus as the primary vine. Now, the reason this is such a radical image for them is that we have to understand that the nation of Israel itself was often pictured in the Old Testament as a vineyard of God's planting. God had planted the nation of Israel in the world to be his people, to be his belonging, the the place that he wanted them to produce the spiritual fruit in the world that would prove of his reality and the truth of who he was in the world. The vine and the vineyard were old sacred images of Judaism representing God's covenant people. And Jesus is suggesting a profound reimagining of what that meant. You see, Jesus is changing the place 
of sacred space and, and a sense of spiritual rootedness from a, a sense of ethnicity and a sense of culture and a sense of geography and a particular place in the world to a, a whole new way of understanding what relationship with God is really all about. Jesus here is here saying that God's vineyard is not a particular people or a particular location or a particular way of behaving. God's vineyard comes from being attached to the vine, which is his son, Jesus. And attachment to God comes through attachment to him. See, it's no longer of possessing the right culture or the right religious behaviors or worshiping in just the right way or on the right mountain or with the right words. Jesus is saying you can do all those things that might seem like you're making yourself religious, but if you're not connected to God through the, through the vine, through the source of life, all of that behavior and all of that right practice and even all of that right thinking is meaningless if it doesn't lead you to a vital connection with the vine through which the power of life is intended to flow. And that's why Jesus is saying here that these key words that he uses in John 15, abiding or remaining in him, have this idea of, of continual and permanent attachment in a way that life can flow from one to the other. See, for Jesus, he's saying discipleship is not just a matter of acknowledging certain intellectual truths about God or acknowledging even that we believe that Jesus was God. Yes, that is an important part of understanding who Jesus was. But the most important part is having Jesus spiritually connected to our lives. Now, we don't often spend a whole lot of time nurturing grapevines and, and growing things. Some of us are involved with farming, but most of us in our modern world have kind of moved on from agriculture and we're, we're into the modern age. And maybe for us, a, a more modern example, it, it would be if Jesus were alive today, he might come and say, I am the world wide web. And you are the computer terminals. Most of us who are connected to the web and living life online and on the internet know that, that if, you, if you lose your Wi-Fi connection, you can't communicate with anybody, right? You're, you're dead in the water. And see, Jesus is saying the same thing is true with Christianity. In your own faith, in your own spiritual life, in your own work and family life and relationships, if you lose connection to the, to the Wi-Fi connection of life, if you lose your connection to the source, you become dead in the water. You can do a lot of activities on your computer. You can write letters and you can make, you know, believe that you're doing all these things. But if you can't functionally connect to others in the outside world, you have no vital life flowing from your computer terminal. If we are not connected to Jesus as the vine, if, if our lives are not intimately attached to the source of life, we can go about our lives coming to church on Sunday morning. We can even be reading our Bible, doing all kinds of religious activity, but we're missing the whole purpose for why Jesus came, is so that we could be reattached to the source of life. When we are attached to the vine, Jesus says that God comes and he prunes us and he nurtures us in order for us to grow because the goal of being attached to the vine is so that we produce fruit for God. 
Now, pruning can often be difficult, and we might shy away from being attached to the vine because we fear that pruning, because we're afraid of of punishment. But as we've been talking about through this series, the lie of the enemy comes and says that God's pruning is to punish you and to to pull you down and to, to... cause you pain. All the while, God's truth says, no, God's pruning is is an attempt to, as Jesus says, to clean us up from the mess of life. The truth of God comes not as, as a judgment and a punishment against us, but with a word of love and grace and forgiveness saying, let me help you wash yourself clean of the, the mire and the muck of sin and brokenness so that you can experience the joy and the freedom that comes from living in connection with the truth. The word for trimming or pruning that is used here and the word that Jesus used for cleaning are are very close to the same word in the Greek. And scholars are suggesting that when Jesus says, you are already made clean by the word that I have spoken to you, he's suggesting that we are cleaned, we are pruned by God's word, by the truths that we have been taught, by the truths that God has given us in his word. It's God's word that prunes and cleans us and prepares us to live the kind of life that he's called us to live. Now, I don't know if you guys were, any of you were part of the uh, church cleanup day a few weeks ago, but we came out here and we, we went through all of these bushes and hedges out here and we, we had to go and prune everything up because it had all become overgrown and we got in there with clippers and you have to kind of decide where are you going to cut and what are you going to prune. And as you go in and you, if you've done any pruning, you can see that some branches are alive and some branches are dead. And the live ones, you can tell because they're, they're flexible, they're, they're green. You can see evidence of life flowing through them. And, and, and the ones that are dead are, are hard and, and brittle. And, and, and they, there's, you can tell that they're not producing any new buds and that there's no hope that any more life is going to come from that. And so you want to get those dead branches and you, you cut them off to, to prepare for the health of the whole bush. And Jesus is just using typical examples that we can understand. See, it's not that God wants to come and punish us. It's that God comes like a gardener who comes to prune the bush so that it produces more and more life. And it's the word of God that comes and, and does that pruning in us because the word confronts the lies that we believe. If we believe that the word of God is true and we come to spend time in God's word learning the truths of God, then those truths will ultimately come to challenge some of the core assumptions of our life. And that's part of what we've been doing in this series is looking at what are some of those lies that we believe about the core assumptions about who we are. Do we believe that we have to perform more and that we have to be perfect in order to, to feel good enough or to, to be successful in life? At, at the core of our understanding, do we feel that we have to work for other people's approval? And that it's, the, it's the judgment of those around us who tell us whether we're good enough or we're smart enough or we're good looking enough to, to feel good about ourselves. Do we feel like we have to avoid blame and, and, and throw blame around at, at everybody else in order for us to, to avoid that? Because we know that if we get blamed for something, somehow we will bear consequences that are negative and we don't want to have to deal with that. Or are we somehow, down deep inside, simply ashamed of who we are, of our past behaviors, of what somebody else has done to us? Does that prevent us from understanding God's love and his value to us? You see, as we, as we believe these lies, the truth of God's word comes in, and if we are willing to spend time 
studying, reading, learning, and understanding God's word, that word will, will prune us. It will clean those lies out and allow us to begin to experience the flow of that vitality of God's life in us. But Jesus is be, helps us to understand that we have to also be aware that that fruit bearing itself is not a test of our worthiness. See, I, I think it's very easy for us to, to, to read the truth of God's word and, and then go back and make it into a new religious duty that somehow we have to produce this fruit and we have to have these evidences in our lives in order to be good enough. And Jesus says, no, the starting point is to come and recognize that you are the poor and the powerless. And that apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. And if we come in humility and recognizing our need for him, then we trust that it is his power that produces the fruit in us. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can't do anything. You see, Jesus is helping us to understand here this whole new understanding about spirituality that it all starts and ends with relationship with him. Your relationship is really more about this idea of connectedness. It's, it's less about performing acts and duties to, to somehow check things off our list to say, yep, done that, done that, done that. Okay, I can pat myself on the back and I'm a good Christian. It's more about maintaining that vital relationship and that ongoing interaction with God through Jesus Christ. And that's why he said he was sending the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, Because the presence and power of God through Jesus Christ is available to us today, right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like if you've ever seen anybody rock climbing, or some of you may have gone rock climbing yourself. Yeah, you you go and and they have these safety measures. Some people do, do free climbing. That's just crazy, right? But, but you, they have harnesses, and, you, and you, you have to step into these harnesses. Now, I haven't done formal rock climbing, but Tammy and I had the opportunity to do one of those uh, uh, high-wire, you know, tree extravaganzas where you do zip lines and rope ladders and all those crazy things. And they put you into this harness. You have to step into it, and it wraps around you, and it wraps around your waist, and you clip in and secure you in, and, and then you connect to a rope that becomes your safety line. Well, in rock climbing... You have this harness, but that rope goes through a pulley and down to hopefully somebody who is the belayer. Somebody else has the other end of that rope. And they are that safety line pulling on that rope as you're climbing. So if you ever slip and fall, they, they are able to catch your weight and keep you from falling to your death or to serious injury. But what Jesus is telling us here is that trying to do the Christian life without staying connected to him is like putting the harness of religion on and putting the activities of church and life and faith all making us think that somehow we're now secure because we have all the equipment and then we go climbing this perilous climb of life thinking that we're safe and secure. But lo and behold, our foot slips or we lose the handhold. Something happens. Life turns difficult and we fall. And if we're not connected to Jesus, who's at the other end of the rope, belaying us, the rope just slips through the pulley, and we crash and burn. And then we say, where was God? God, why did you do this to me? Why, how could this happen if God is a loving God? All the while, we've never taken the time or realize, the realization that the whole goal of the Christian life is to stay connected to Jesus 
through the power of his spirit. And that if that is our purpose and that is our goal and that's what we're spending our time on, all those other things will take care of themselves. And the Holy Spirit in our life will produce the kind of fruit that God is desiring. So part of what Jesus is inviting us to see here in this story of the vine and the branches is he's inviting his early disciples and us too to, to redefine our understanding of spiritual life. It's not about religion and duty and making ourselves good enough. Is discipleship a commitment to doctrinal beliefs concerning God and Jesus? Is that what discipleship is about? Is it a way of life, or, or perhaps we could even say a way of love that sets disciples apart from the world? Or is it a, an experience and a spiritual encounter of the presence and the living God that transforms us from the inside out? Really, I think we can say it's, it's all three. If we take a holistic perspective to our lives, we cannot separate out our faith into any of these separate categories and somehow think if we just do one, we've got it all figured out. Jesus is telling us that discipleship is a way of thinking based on the truths of God's word. We study God's word and we understand what the truth is and that shapes our mind. Our mind is transformed, Paul says in Romans 12, so that we can live out this life because of our new understanding of who God is. And then it becomes a way of living. We live out our relationships and our lives in new ways because the power of God transforms our values and our priorities and we begin to think about life and what's important in life in new ways. But ultimately, it becomes a supernatural experience of the presence and the power of the Spirit of Christ in our lives that gives us the understanding, that empowers us to be able to even live in the way that God is inviting us to experience. See, I think these three ways of understanding the spiritual life really kind of tell us about why many of us have experienced the patterns of discipleship that we have over the years. Because it is important, if we're going to stay connected to the vine, that, that we have to stay connected to the Word. One of the reasons why we say it's so important to be studying the Word of God and to be having a devotional time where we're, we're digging into the Word and we're, we're allowing the Holy Spirit to, to impact us, to see the Word of God as a word for us, is that's part of staying connected to Jesus Christ. He is the living Word. And as we're in this Word, we allow the Holy Spirit to draw those connections to Jesus as the living Word so that the understanding of who God is flows through our minds, and it gives us the right perspective on living. The second thing that we talk about in discipleship is that it, it impacts the way we live in our relationships and the way we conduct our business practices and, and, and the way we behave. But all of that comes out of, a, of an understanding that, that we're not living for ourselves anymore. When we give up a, a selfish, motiv motivated life and we begin to understand that the truth of God's word says that we owe everything to God now and our job is to live for his glory, then it changes our priorities and what our expectations for what does it mean to even be successful. And so it, it leads to a way of living and ultimately it leads to a way of experiencing God that bases our understanding on this intimate connection that God is with us. Not just here this morning, not just for one hour on Sunday, but when you're driving in your car on the freeway, when you're arguing with your wife at home, when your kids are exasperating you and you don't know what to do anymore, God is with you. 
when you are wondering what your next career move is and, and what God has planned for your life, the presence of Christ is there with you through the power of his spirit to give you peace and joy even in the midst of confusion and wondering when the clarity will come on the, what the next step is in your life. You see, spending time understanding the truth of God's word, seeking to apply that word in our life as we live it out, ultimately is a part of staying connected to Jesus Christ through every moment of every day. And life, in that sense, takes on a whole new vitality because the Spirit is present, empowering us to live in ways that we never thought we could. As we remain in Christ, it is the power of His Spirit in us. It's not only our believing and living, but they are both nurtured by that presence and that power flowing through us. As we respond to the love of Christ and trust in his spirit to fill us, the characteristics of Christ's life become the characteristics of our life. That's why Paul in Galatians 5, right, talks about the fruit of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of the characteristics of, of the life of God become characteristics that we can embody in our lives, not because of our own goodness, our own strength, but because we humbly submit to the power of the Spirit working through us. And when we give permission to God to be the one not only for whom we live, but by whom we live, we experience a whole new power for life that we've missed when we try and live in our own efforts. See, we come to understand that it's not your love that God wants you to express. It's not your patience that God needs you to exhibit. It's not your kindness that God wants you to, to show. It's not your goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or even your own self-control. How many of you struggle with self-control? God is saying if we live connected to the vine in this way, if we allow the Holy Spirit of Christ to be the one that motivates us from the inside out, he will give us his joy. His love, it's his patience, it's his kindness, it's his goodness, it's his faithfulness flowing through us. It's his uh, gentleness allowing us to have the kind of self-control that we could never have in our own spirit. And then when we are able to live that kind of lifestyle out, when we see ourselves living in this way, we don't pat ourselves on the back and say, wow, I'm a pretty darn good Christian, aren't I? We say, thank God, because I could never have done that in my own strength. Wow, somebody comes and says, that was so gentle of you, the way you, be, you responded in that difficult situation. <laughs> Thank God, because without his power, putting my own anger, my own frustration, my own temptations at bay, I might not have been able to respond in that way. See, fruit becomes the sign of the presence and the power of God at work in our lives. It's not the first step that God requires us to achieve before he gives us that power. It's the other way around. It's the byproduct of our willingness to make Jesus Christ our starting point in our relationship with him, the first step in our walk of faith. And the, the first time we begin to take our eye off that prize and we go in a different direction, we open ourselves to the lies of the enemy that will come in and, and steal the truth that, that this is the kind of life that God has invited us to live and to start to believe that somehow we have to do it in our own strength. Sometime, somehow I have to perform better. Somehow I have to seek other people's approval. 
All of those lies. And that's why a life that has the life of Jesus running through its veins is a vital life that stays connected to God intimately, personally, and continually. Remain in me, Jesus said. Continually live in me. Because apart from me, you can't do any of these things. Now, intellectually, we can affirm and say, along with Scripture, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. We have these truths that we, we teach ourselves and that we preach about and that we read in Scripture. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. And yet, functionally, day after day, so many times, we allow these lies, the, the enemy, to come in and to separate us from the vine, from that vital flow of life and joy because we get our eyes off track. We get our eyes off Jesus and we focus them on other things, things that we think we need to do to make ourselves good enough. Or we, we get in the world of religion and church and we focus on all the things of, of church and we, we do all of these religious things, putting on the harness and we think that we're safe, but we've missed the fact that we've lost the connection to Jesus who is the one who has the other end of the rope. You see, emotionally and spiritually, we can begin to allow our fears and our anxieties to become barriers to staying connected to Jesus in that way. I don't know about you, but I come into church today with fear. I come into church today with anxiety. I I have worries in my life. And, And I recognize that those fears and those anxieties and those worries are huge distractions to my own ability to stay connected to Jesus in this way. And I think as we come to church this morning, as we come to church every week, God is inviting us to to come into this, this holy space, not holy because of this building, but holy because he's here with us. Allowing him to prune us again of those fears and those anxieties because fear does not come from the love and the forgiveness of God. Fear comes from the lies that we choose to believe. And as we come to him, the living word of God, through the power of his spirit, he becomes the truth again that cleans us, that that washes us anew and prepares us in our hearts to go out and produce the kind of fruit in our lives that he invites us to experience, not because our our own effort is to produce it, but because he wants to flow through us and we get to watch it happen. You see, he is the power for life. If you had to be honest with yourself this morning, you don't have to be honest with me. You don't have to be honest with your husband. You don't have to be honest with your neighbors. But if you're honest with yourself and you're willing to be honest with God, Are you abiding in Christ this morning? Have you been staying vitally connected to Jesus as the source of life and joy as the Bible teaches us? Because if you haven't been staying connected with Jesus in that way, I can guess that you're struggling in your faith and you're struggling in your own spirituality, wondering why isn't life better? Why am I not happier? Why are my relationships not working out in the way that they're intended? Because if we're really honest with God and we're honest with ourselves, we all struggle with this 
challenge of staying connected with Jesus. It's not easy, but it is simple, Jesus says. Our focus always comes back to him. He is the power for life. And when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we miss the wonderful gift that he's come to give us. This morning, I want to invite us to reflect on his love and this power, to confess the lies that we've believed, the the sins that we may have committed as a result of believing those lies, and to, again, put our trust in him. And he will guide us by his word. He will fill us with his spirit. And he will enable us to live for him in ways that maybe we didn't even know we could. Jesus said to his disciples, My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove that you are my disciples. My prayer for you and for me is that we too can experience the joy of the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives. Would you pray with me?